You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is episode 43 of Cards and Cubes. What's in a game? We're your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And you're listening to Cards and Cubes. Recording this on Easter weekend, April 4th, 2021. Did you go out and set up eggs for yourself to find? <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't going to get into it, but uh, I didn't even think about it being Easter weekend, except last week people kept saying, like, oh, I have a good lock long weekend at work and i don't get a long weekend so it was kind of annoying uh different sections of our company internationally get a long weekend because of easter but not in the u.s because i guess uh, it's not good enough here but uh no actually the funny thing is i went out completely not related to easter there was a parliamental parliamentary election in bulgaria actually and i voted here internationally so exciting uh, some people got organized and got a section for voting and some people travel traveled from la to set it up and stuff so completely not secular uh <laughs> sunday for me not not <laughs> easter at all no not even any bunnies or chocolate or anything <laughs> uh no to be honest i'm not a huge fan of easter to begin with so anyway yeah yeah that's kind of a funny one uh yeah that is kind of interesting though you know because it always falls on a weekend so long weekend is kind of not a thing unless your company just decides that you yeah, get yeah. like an extra day or something. Uh, a lot of places give Monday off because it's like the day after Easter. Uh, usually it's a holiday in a lot of countries, I think. Yeah, you got to have a Monday to recover from the Easter hangover. Yeah, Easter's kind <laughs> of a weird holiday. Actually, I don't know if you know, but the eggs are not really like Christian uh, either. They're kind of uh, adopted from like pagan stuff. And actually the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church disagrees where when Easter is. So I think in Eastern Europe, it's actually on a different date and it kind of moves according to some kind of different calendar. Anyway, it's very interesting, actually. If you're it's curious, all dependent. you can look it up. All dependent on when the bunny lays the eggs. Uh, yep, completely <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> well, in uh, in secular trivia news, I think I've got one that'll be fun for you this week, and not as stupid as the last list. Um, so you've heard of Reiner Knizia, right? No, definitely not. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, so Reiner Knizia, obviously uh, one of the most prolific game designers probably in history. And this week's trivia is I just want you to take a stab at how many games he's designed and then oh. how many editions of those games have been at one point in circulation. I guess my BGG is good that my BGG skills are not up to par because that's exactly what I was looking up. Um, I thought you were, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something different yeah. because I feel like I don't know. Um, I think someone actually looked it up, and it, I might be overstating it, but I feel like something like definitely over a hundred. Um, I want to say something like three hundred, even though it might be even higher, which is insane. But I think, or maybe I'm just like way too high. I don't know. I'll just say 300 is like some kind of wild out there guess. 
Yeah, so I I really tried hard to find like a numbered list because when I saw the number on um, Kenitia's website, actually, I was like, no way, it can't be. So um, I, I want to say it's even higher, like six hundred, but I didn't want to say a number that's too high in case it's yeah. ridiculous. So I I don't have an exact number because I had a really hard time finding it and I just didn't want to count through lists of countless games. Uh, but according to his website, he has designed over 700 games. Yep. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Obviously, probably not all of them available in the US or, you know, in every country around the world, but he's designed 700 plus. So that's a lot. Um, and the, the, so the follow-up question is, how many editions and i think that probably includes uh, what they're qualifying as an edition is maybe different languages or uh different maybe even just different oh, editions gosh. they didn't that's... have a definition for edition but you can imagine it's more than 700 <laughs> that's actually kind of an insanely difficult question because i mean his games get published in germany mostly but also like Maybe like Italy, France, obviously in English for the US, Canada, I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe something like 1200, like double his actual games, because not every game gets uh, international publishing in addition. So I don't know, like probably I'm guessing like uh, some portion of his games get like five or six editions if they're counting different languages. So I'm, I don't know, I'll say something like maybe a thousand or something editions on top of his regular game. So total, I don't know, like 1600 or something. I, I have no idea. Just the, the editions question is way more weird. So yeah, I have no idea. It's, and it's like really hard to, to guess at because of what all the reasons you said. Well, according to Canizia games, um, you know, which is his website, he has over 2,000 different editions. Yep. And it's really actually pretty fascinating. He has a list that you can f open up on his website that takes it all the way back to the first game he designed in 1990. Um, the, the PDF is 67 pages. <laughs> <laughs> so this includes, I think, all the different like basically everything I think would, you know, all the, all the games, all the different versions, expansions, everything yeah. is designed. It's quite it, a list. It's kind of cool that he keeps a good record, I guess. That's interesting. But uh, a lot of his games are very small and only get published in Germany. And they're very kind of abstract. I feel like he designs games very uh, kind of in an abstract way and they put, some kind of like slap a theme on them uh, a lot right. of the time and a lot of the games are kind of smaller i think that's what enables him to design so many games is they're not like huge uh interconnected games yeah. uh, even though he does have kind of like larger games but he's a designer that likes i think more simple more abstract games than others yeah and i think if you play enough of his games you'll kind of notice that some games take maybe an idea he had and then iterate on that over and over through different you know uh, different games over time yep well that's our trivia for this week let's head on into games played uh 
So actually my first game that I want to talk about is by Reiner Knizia. What a coincidence, I guess, or maybe Trevor actually planned it that way, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we I bought this game, which I think last podcast actually talked about in terms of uh, upcoming games. Uh, Lama, or LL. AMA with dots. I think it's supposed to be some kind of lame acronym, but really it's kind of a llama because it has cards with llamas on them. Uh, very, very simple, very uh, silly push your luck game. Uh, it was a Spiel des Jahres nominee, I think, for 2019. It didn't win the Spiel des Jahres, but it was a nominee. Uh, which is extremely surprising because the game is really lightweight. Uh, literally, it's just like play, kind of like very reminiscent of Uno, I think. He wanted to maybe inspired by Uno or something, but he wanted to make an actual like, uh, well, push your luck game, just a different concept on it. We actually played it quite a few times uh, now. Uh, it's exactly as I was hoping. Uh, the game is very simple to explain and very quick to play and very kind of silly. So we've been playing it kind of at the end of the night or sometimes actually at the beginning of the night. Uh, but I like it. I think it's a pretty cool game. It's a very, like I say, extremely simple push your luck game. You're just playing numbers and then llamas on top and there's some clever mechanics of cards have uh, being left over in your hand when either everyone quits or someone is out of cards and they score negative points for you so you want to get rid of your cards basically just a simple game where you want to get rid of your cards as fast as possible uh by playing them on top of a shared pile just extremely simple game i think we've talked about it before as well but yeah it was kind of fun to go back to it and i enjoyed my a limited plays of it obviously it's a push your luck game and it's heavily dependent on card draws and sometimes it's kind of in a funny uh schadenfreude way or something of someone just getting like terrible luck and ending the game because of it because it also ends by 40 points which is really bad because if you hit 40 points you've lost so uh kind of generally laughs at the expense of someone <laughs> Because they scored so many I was, points. I was just and about to say, I'm looking at my my board game stats app right now. And could, <laughs> could you tell me, is it a bad thing if my average score is 31? <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably not so good. <laughs> yeah, Trevor played it as well, so I'm sure he has a lot of, uh, as you can hear, pleasant impressions from it. No, it's... it's I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, it's it's a funny game. Um, one that I am evidently terrible at playing, um, because or just kind of really unlucky. Only couple of yeah, games, I think. Right, yeah, and it, I I do tend to get unlucky and make bad choices. So those those two things kind of compound and make it make my average score thirty one. Um, but yeah, it's it kind of has a dynamic that I guess I haven't really appreciated yet because. The solution, well, at least in my mind, the solution to being in a bad place is continue drawing cards so that you can play. Uh, but then that also creates your catastrophic death by having too many cards and then getting too many points. Um, but yeah, it was this. I think it's it's a good game. It, one of the things I I found was unique or or just felt unique and fun was the way that you actually kind of want to get more points so that you can play all hopefully play all your cards and then eliminate more points at a time because um in the game you either get 
tokens of one point or ten points. And when you completely play out your hand, you can uh, discard one of the tokens that you've accumulated, whether it be a one or a ten. So you kind of don't want to have nine tokens. You'd rather have ten tokens, um, which I, I thought was neat. I never got to do that. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I like the I like the possibility of being able to take your da- your your points down um, in larger increments like that. Yeah, uh, as you guys, I guess I should be clear. This game is definitely not uh, strategic much. Uh, I'm looking at the reviews on BGG, and they're calling it a better alternative to Uno, Uno but good, whatever. Uh, and I kind of agree. I think it is, but that's not saying much because I mean, Uno is Uno. Uh, but this is kind of a hilarious, super light card game. Uh, the weight of it is 1.05. It's not quite one. It's 1.05. <laughs> I think one's the lowest. So extremely well, light, one. extremely silly, uh, just kind of hilarious mostly. Uh, don't take it too seriously. But the the cool thing about it is uh, it fits really well. It kind of at, at the end of the night for some laughs and pressure release maybe or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Llama. Yeah, we we were playing Llama the last time after we played uh, Dune Imperium, uh, which is you know kind of a semi-cutthroat game. game. And <laughs> <Just> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because during Dune Imperium, like there was not really any you know boiling blood, at least not visibly. But then we get to Llama, and people are <laughs> visibly like frustrated by what's going on with the cards, and it's, it's just a funny experience. Uh, speaking of which, that's the game I was going to bring up next was Dune Imperium. Um, this is uh, a game from Direwolf. Uh, and designed by Paul Denon. And we've already talked about this game quite a bit on the channel, so on, on the podcast, so I don't think we'll go into too much detail. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring it back in to talk about it is that we've each played it quite a few more times since we talked about it on our top twenty or top ten of twenty twenty games. And um, we've kind of developed a couple of constructive criticisms of the game that we you know that we think might make the game better and and so it, i thought it'd be fun to dive into that just really quickly um so risa what are what are a couple of things that you spot about the game that you know i, I assume or at least my understanding is you still enjoy the game but there's a couple of things you might tweak uh, uh, to improve the experience last game was just kind of sad because the way it ended is um, i was holding two of actually i think they're like the only two point scoring cards in the entire deck of intrigue cards which are these basically hidden goals that you're supposed to do and i was literally one worker placement away from fulfilling both of them and instead i got none of them but anyway um that's just kind of <laughs> like very it. unfortunate uh, my conclusion for that is i don't know how how huge of a fan i am on uh, of just the entire concept of kind of tying worker placement to cards but that's not really a criticism for dune in particular is just kind of this concept of i don't know sometimes you need to place somewhere and you don't have the right cards and it's just kind of bah, just kind of more luck uh if i if there are some really kind of like low-hanging fruit in my opinion with dune uh for improving the game or then how it feels one thing is where uh, maybe introduce more spaces to spend money uh, in terms of like Solari or whatever they're called, like the money currency you get in the game. Because I think what it's what turns out um, 
to be the kind of money sink is just one single space where you can buy four soldiers or whatever, four units. And other than that, I can't really think of once you've bought your uh, extra buy power and extra worker. If you have a nice money generation engine, there's very few sources for the money or for destinations for that money. So I yeah. think there is um, one card that I know of. I don't know if there's more yeah. than one, but there is one card that you can spend money for points, but it seldom. I mean, I've, I've had that in games and used it maybe once or twice, but to your point, it, it doesn't come up often enough to justify the time you may have spent into building a money engine. Yeah, uh, it's kind of yeah crazy because you depend on either some kind of card pool or some kind of an intrigue cards to spend your money, and I don't think that's a good idea. I think there should be more worker placement spaces to use money on, because actually there's a lot of, there's like three spaces, I think, at least that I can think of where you can get money. So it's like get money from three different places, but spend money in really just one place, especially towards the end of the game is what I'm talking about. In the early game, money is actually very valuable. Uh, but I feel like it's kind of like early game, yes, make lots of money, late game, just listen, maybe that's the way he wanted it. I don't make know, it just, just kind of feels, feels bad. Yeah, but the money doesn't help you towards uh, the spice generation. That's yeah. the weird part Maybe there part needs to it. be a sort of a reverse exchange of that one spot where you can change money for spice or spice <laughs> for money. Actually, what would be really interesting is if you could change money for water or something. I think that could be yeah. cool. Or if that wasn't just get water but spend money for water, but then maybe money becomes too important. Anyway, I don't know. I think there should be just like a sideboard with a few more spaces to spend money on interesting yeah. things. Maybe like draw cards or something or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good candidate for expansion materials is find more uses for money. Um, one thing that is also kind of low-hanging fruit that I would like to see officially addressed by um, Paul Denon is the issue of a, a stagnant card market, which can be particularly painful in this game because you really don't want to be drawing pointless cards with bad worker placement spots. Um, yeah. And so if, as I think tends to happen almost every game I've, I've played, um, the card market can turn into just a bunch of garbage, right? Just a bunch of twos and threes. And it's kind of a, becomes a game of, well, who's going to buy the bad card first, you know? And then uh, you buy the bad card and suddenly you're out of skill points. And then the next player gets the good card. Um, so I, I, I know that there are a lot of variants that are floating around um, on BGG. One of them is probably the waterfall where the final card just falls off every uh, round or turn or, or whatever. There may be some um, some other fan-made variants out there. But I think that that's something that, that probably should be added to the game is some way to, to cycle cards in the card market and, and make that fresh. Yeah, the card market's kind of interesting because yeah it does have obviously the same 
problem as many of those games where someone buys uh, you buy a card and the next one comes out and you're like well i'd rather have had that card actually instead of the one i just bought <laughs> so basically you set up yeah. kind of the next person in line uh kind of very unfortunate but i i don't know um yeah the the usually that's kind of a problem but i feel like it's even more of a problem in dune because of the pressure of just kind of like i said the consequences of not having good worker placement icons worker placement worker uh yeah i think that's what it's called basically uh good cards there's a lot of pressure and the game doesn't last very long i actually feel like you kind of reshuffle less than other games maybe i don't know maybe it's about the same it's just my impression it kind of goes fast well maybe not uh but there's just a lot of pressure on having the right cards and sometimes the market gets stuck and it's really bad like it's probably worse than other games of its kind uh, of the kind uh because yeah uh, you kind of don't want bad cards in your deck at all but yeah, yeah. Uh, those are kind of the two things that I'd say are probably easy to kind of improve the game with. Yeah, I, I think um, it's probably the design decision was there to make it so that it's not, I guess, too easy to place on the different faction spots. Just kind of shoot up those tracks really fast. Uh, so I could see that being a design concern of not making that too easy. But then, yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I, I do think that it, it becomes a problem often enough that it, it would be nice to address it. Actually, something else that I was thinking about after our last game, I think uh, the four-player game is kind of ridiculous. Uh, there should be, unfortunately, the game is designed as such that that's not really possible, but I was thinking like the board should be smaller with three or larger with four because it's the same amount of people with the same worker placement spots for the for more people for one more person uh it feels like the game is just more i don't know um you get stuck with really bad spaces in a four-player game sometimes uh kind of like non-choices or i can't place a worker because everything is full kind of a situation which happens less in a three-player game so i don't know i just wish there was a way to kind of scale the game that way but given how the game is made i don't know if that's possible really yeah i i still liked it a lot at four but i i do agree that the the board gets really tight at four players yep. which you know if, if you don't mind tight worker placement then it's not a problem for you but so I, I still enjoyed it, but I do see your point. Um, that particular game, though, I was playing the character who did not get excluded from the purple circle or the green uh, pentagon yeah. uh, spot. So that was not as big of a problem for me. So I was just thinking, you know, off the top of my head, maybe something that might help mitigate that would be in a four-player game, you have one or two spots in particular, um, you know, hotly contested spots, or maybe there are cards that give you abilities to break worker placement rules or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe like have one worker which can be placed where someone else is or something. That might introduce other problems though, but right. uh, basically <laughs> it's, it puts more way more pressure on having the right icons on cards because if you pull, for example, just yellow, 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 your entire hand, you may not even be able to place a single worker because someone just like goes to the space where 
they go. So just having like a a variety of icons is way more important than a three player game, which yeah. puts more pressure on the card market. Anyway, it's kind of a it's a fine game. It's not I think it's not designed to be super deep, but I kind of wish there's an expansion coming. Hopefully, there is one which kind of addresses some of these things. Yeah, I, this seems like the game that will get some expansion treatment um, if if Clank is any indication. Um, I think there's probably going to be a decent amount of uh, expansion treatment for the game. Uh, one more quick thing that we talked about before we move on is um, it would be nice to have a different version of variable player turn order rather than just first player passing left every round. Um, because it really does matter uh, especially a lot. Especially in a four-player game. Yes, especially in a four-player game. So it, it, I would like to see some way of being able to influence turn order, um, which might make the game maybe a little more uh, AP-prone or just yeah. just more, more th- decisions to think about. But I, I tend to enjoy variable player orders quite a bit, those, those types of mechanisms. So I, I think that would probably fit well with this game. Yeah, I was even suggesting reverse point order, like the lowest points goes first, and if you have the same points, you flip spaces, which is kind of commonly done in these games. It might introduce some kind of a, I'll wait and try to score like four points in the same round or something, uh, which happens in power grids sometimes, but I feel like with the battles that you fight, it should work pretty well, actually. So, like, if someone wins a battle, uh, they are last or something. That might be kind of cool. I don't know. Uh, It feels weird to rotate left and, like, basically two people get to be more first than two other people in a four-player game because you play ten rounds. If it goes ten rounds, I mean. So, it just kind of feels weird. Um, I feel like it's... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I still really, really like the game quite a lot, but those are some things that we noticed after playing it a bit that would make the game even cooler for us. So that's yep. Dune Imperium. Yes. Um, I'll just have a quick mention on this game because we played it and I thought it was pretty cool, but uh, we played it wrong. So we'll be playing it again, hopefully, with the, um, unfortunately something that really kind of broke the game. The game's called Pixie Queen. Uh, it's by Rudy Suntiens, or Suntiens, I don't know, Suntiens probably. Uh, only game he's designed, actually, uh, his only game is published by Game Brewer and a bunch of other pub- publishers, but that's it. He's only designed Pixie Queen and nothing else. 2016. Quit while um, he's on top. <laughs> what what on top? Sorry, I didn't hear. He, he, he quit while he was on top. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, actually, the game's pretty cool. I think the game is a worker placement game uh, where you place workers, which are kind of not your fairies. The unique thing about the game is that it's very kind of negative. First of all, the theme is you're stealing from a village, which is not the other players, but you're stealing from a village uh, and you're playing pixies and you bring the stuff you steal, which is usually food or like gold or whatever. Actually, you don't steal gold, you mine gold in the mines. Uh, And you bring it all to the queen and she desires some kind of resources to be delivered to her. Um, Actually, she has a favorite food every round, which is kind of a push your luck mechanic. But there's a bunch of basically negative stuff in the game. There's actually not that much take that. The take that actually works pretty well to 
kind of uh, as a attack the leader mechanic because you, if you target someone you steal whatever their worker is on so usually you steal from the person who got the most resources which kind of basically like i said it's like usually the leader um anyway kind of uh, an interesting concept uh, also interesting the game is kind of engine building because you move up your pixies so along this village and they just keep stealing the same stuff over and over round after round so it's basically like an engine building game i had a concern that it's going to be a runaway leader type of game because of that someone gets really high and they just keep getting more and more however because of the like i say take that mechanics i think that's less of a concern uh, also you get some benefits of having your pixies in the mines which is the lowest thing um, you can be in because you make some resources and actually there's a more there's a take that mechanic you can pull stones out of a bag and attach them to other pixies and they have to get rid of them to uh, move your, their pixies up and stuff uh, it actually feels like uh, something like I'd say Carnegie we played recently kind of a I, I can see how people say it's not really replayable because you play the exact same game over and over there are some powers which change game to game but the game is basically the same almost every time you play uh, what's different is player choices so what players might go for but given that there's basically three things you can do kind of in the game i'm not going to get going depth uh but it kind of i can see how if you play it over and over it will become samey uh but it's not really a problem for me because i don't think um, i play my games too frequently but there's not really that much variability uh, but yeah, the game actually doesn't feel as negative as I thought. Um, it does feel kind of negative, but I mean, as long as you're aware that you're mostly going to get negative points, actually, and it's usually the score, the end game score is not going to be a positive score, actually. It's kind of funny. I'm looking at a picture of the board right now, and the board, the score track goes to positive 20. And, and negative 59 <laughs> or yeah. negative 60. <laughs> uh, actually, a funny thing is if you get minus 60, uh, you're eliminated from the game, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, it didn't accepted. happen in our game. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, people are, I can't really see it happening. I think if both people collude and try to take someone down and just uh, try to cause them to have the most negative points, but that's kind of like too mean. I, I think it, wouldn't really work for the other players in the game because uh, obviously doing take that actions takes away good actions from you so your choice is kind of like am i going to do something good for me or bad for someone else uh but yeah i actually really think uh there were some criticism that the art is like not good or something the board looks busy or whatever i think it's actually really cool um, I think uh, the art is amazingly awesome. <laughs> I can't really, I don't have any complaints about it. Yeah, the board is kind of full of icons, but that's most euros. And once you understand the game, it's like really easy to see what's happening. I actually really liked it. So we, like I say, we played something fundamentally wrong, which actually caused uh, fewer negative points. So I guess maybe I haven't experienced the full power of negativeness in the game, but it actually wasn't that bad. It's it's fine. Uh, so very unique game kind of delivered what I was expecting, which is kind of a different kind of spin on worker placement and engine kind of uh, gameplay. Uh, Trevor didn't play it. He was out that week, but hopefully he'll play the correct game uh, playthrough uh, someday. Yeah, so I knew you guys were going to mess it up, so I skipped. <laughs> no, yeah. actually, I, I agree with you. I think the game looks cool. 
I, I don't yeah. know what the criticisms are. I guess it's just the Eurogamer in me likes to see a bunch of score tracks and steps and you know tech tracks or whatever. Yeah, I think the background is really awesome and like the way it's integrated, you start from the mines underneath and you climb these like terraces through the village and then you end up in the Pixie Queen Palace where you serve forever as a, as a servant, a loyal servant. I I did have one question for you about this cuz you compared it to Carnegie and you know Carnegie is uh sort of samey at least on the I've played the game probably 10 times now. Um, and and you're playing the same game every time. That being said, I think in Carnegie, your decisions are not always super obvious about what the best thing to do is. I'm curious what your impression is on this game. You know, it, it might be samey because you're kind of playing the same game every time, but is it always obvious what you should be doing? I don't think so, actually. Um there's three kind of different strategies. Usually the games that have a really huge problem of not being replayable is like they have one goal or something, or there's like a single track or something. This one, you can do three different things. Um, so one of them is like climb your pixies really high to the palace. The other one is collect a lot of resources to deliver them to the queen. And the third one is actually generate a lot of gold to make rings because uh, she likes golden rings, I guess. So those are the three main scoring mechanisms in the game, um, which, yeah, I think just the what people choose will make the game feel kind of different as far as like your immediate decisions but i mean the board doesn't change uh you know like a lot of games have uh some kind of modular boards or something or overlays a lot of like card overlays which changes the entire game this one kind of doesn't uh the board always looks the same the resource generation is always the same it just what makes it different is just player decisions yeah that's kind of what my impression was especially with the take that uh, mechanism built in is your game your your ultimate objective is probably the same every time but how you get there can vary widely yeah, yeah. So. well not so widely but yeah obviously someone goes to the space that you like and you have to go through a different like strategy or something that game gotcha sounds cool yeah it's fine uh not the super most amazing game of uh 2016 but uh pretty cool i think Especially as a first game, and like considering there was a weird Kickstarter about it as well. And anyway, kind of flew yeah, under the radar. That's exactly what I was just about to say. I, I don't recall ever having heard of this game until yep. you brought it up. Yeah, those are the kind of games that I like, is uh, the games that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> and that's a prime candidate. Yeah, speaking of games nobody's ever heard of, I'm going to talk just briefly about Bloodborne, the board game. Um, so I did back this on Kickstarter largely because I'm a huge Bloodborne fan, loved the video game a lot, and just wanted the game, fully expecting gameplay to be kind of whatever. Um, I've played <laughs> it a little bit and have actually been pleasantly surprised. So for anybody who doesn't know, Bloodborne is this um, really kind of dark... Uh, Gross, probably. <laughs> gross, gross <laughs> Full of, game. Like, spiders with yeah, weird eyes it's a and video, monsters yeah, exactly. and stuff. Yeah, it, it, 
sometimes you have monsters made of like front body parts of other Flesh, things. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really dark game um, from designed by From Software, and Simon took it on with Eric Lang and Michael Chanel and turned it into a board game with, of course, tons of minis and lots of Kickstarter boxes. And I, I spent too much money on this. And uh, <laughs> but so the game arrived recently. And it's it's a cooperative, so the core game is a cooperative sort of dungeon crawl type game. It's really sort of an exploration type game, just like the video game. The video game, you're just kind of exploring the world, trying to take down certain bosses and figure out lore, basically, as you're going. And so the, the board game does actually really well at emulating a lot of different aspects of the game. And I won't get it too deep into it, but the the core mechanic of the game is um, so you it, you're building a deck that is always capped at 12 cards. So that'll be kind of reminiscent. If you've played the Bloodborne card game, you have a, a hand limit in, in, and you're, as you get new cards, you're basically just cycling it out. So there's a similar concept here in this game, but the cards in, in the board game are sort of multi-use because on your turn, you basically can spend as many your your actions are cards so you're just discarding cards from your hand to do actions and you always start each round with three cards but you can uh, get abilities that help you draw more cards so you can kind of extend your turns and so there's actually some interesting decision points there as to which cards you bring in to build your character and there's a pretty interesting combat mechanism where each so if you've ever played the the video game, you'll notice that there's like a bunch of different hunters is what your characters are called that have just ridiculous weapons from, you know, uh, giant sledgehammers that are probably heavier than any person could ever carry to a cane that turns into like this whip thing. And so every, every hunter has a weapon that can transform or into something else. And so what this board game does is you have a character board in front of you that actually flips over and over. So you can, as an action, transform your weapon into its other state, which has different abilities. And then you can, as an action, flip it back and, uh, and, and use the other abilities on the other side. So that was really cool to see from brought over from the board game. And that actually um, is kind of your stamina bar in the board game as well because as you go filling up spots on your character board when you do attacks you can't the the base rule is you can't remove those cards unless you flip your board over so you're getting to a point where you can't attack or you can't dodge so you kind of have to do a rest action or whatever and flip your board over and so i guess the, the long and short of it is I'm excited to continue playing this game because I think that Eric Lang and Michael Chanel found some pretty interesting um, and fun ways to translate video game mechanics into board game mechanics. And so, you know, it's not the deepest gameplay out there. I don't want to sell it for what it's not. It's it's fairly straightforward and 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 not complicated. But it is cool for someone who has spent a lot of time playing the video game, see uh, the game kind of represented well in the board game space. And so I, I've enjoyed it so far, but I'm incredibly biased and predisposed to like it because I like the IP a lot. Uh, but that's Bloodborne, the board game. 
uh, might talk about yeah. it later, but that's kind of the, the first impressions. I the only thing I saw from Bloodborne uh, that I know of is huge boxes. I <laughs> yeah. kept seeing those pictures from people on Facebook having received their pledges for Bloodborne, and they were literally as tall as they were, uh, or maybe I don't know, not not quite, but a good like four feet high of stack of boxes which were just insanely huge so i don't know if you have all of them but whatever uh actually i yep. had a question you, you said it's co-op i think right yes uh does it how do you attack is it dice rolls or i don't know have you no so it's, it's all card play there are no dice in the game so oh that's cool so when you um when you attack um you can either so it's it's interesting. So there's there's two ways to fight. There's you just run in and slash at the the monster, um, or you kind of wait for it to come to you because whether you engage the monster or it engages you, the combat mechanic is the same. So there's no such thing as defense or, or attack. It's all just yeah, combat. Yeah. And so there's cool there's some cool decisions there into like how you engage, and that's really reminiscent of the video game because the video game is all about learning the rhythm because it's it's notoriously difficult so the way you do well in it is you figure out okay this particular monster does this type of thing so i need to start to be able to recognize it and and you might fight a boss for example like 30 times before you beat it because you haven't learned its rhythm yet <laughs> in the board game as well or the video yes, game actually yeah so oh the, the, the way <laughs> i don't know if doing but, the same scenario 30 30 <laughs> times over sounds like no, a really yeah. cool idea <laughs> so the funny thing about that is the video the board game is actually played in mini campaigns of three games each uh, or three yeah so three games is a campaign and if the the rule is that is if you die so if you ever fail you have to start over at the beginning of the first chapter and i'm Ugh. like i'm pretty much like screw that i'm just going to start the chapter over and just play play that chapter again um oh go ahead no i was gonna say the chapter has many what is it mini campaigns which are three games each is that how it's organized so a campaign is organized of usually three chapters, and a chapter consists of completing various like oh, uh, chapters of three games. Yes, so the three, uh, chapter one, two, three. Okay. Yeah, so a chapter is a, a session, a, a gameplay session. Uh, how many like big uh, whatever scenarios or whatever there are of three chapters or or something? Do you so know? each oh well the the core game like comes together. with the core game comes with four uh four campaigns and then each of the expansion box comes with one or two campaigns so I, I would say there's probably 12 plus campaigns so there's a good there's a good amount of content okay i was wondering like yeah the content uh do you ever feel like you would ever replay a campaign um ever really or are they kind of like one time playthrough and you kind of don't want to ever again um, I think you could replay because um, the way it's set up is the the each chapter has basically a deck of of like mission cards, and in one playthrough you might not complete or even start a mission. So there I is see. some so there is not some just like defeat the monster and that's about it. You actually have to do other things, I guess. Yeah, there is some. Um, there are some decision points as to what what 
uh, vein you can take in the chapter. That being said, I think all roads ultimately lead to Rome, right? So I think ultimately you may end up in the same spot because I think the the goal of each chapter is at the end of that chapter, you're going to fight one of the recognizable bosses from the video game. Yeah, and yeah. so the, the way you get there may vary, but I think that the end result is going to be very similar or the same each time. Um, but I haven't yeah. made it through enough of them to know. Actually, yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool experience, at least uh, for one playthrough, and then I guess you'll see if you keep it for the future. Yeah, it's it's pretty decent. And, and what I was going to say real quickly about um, kind of how you learn, or quote, learn the monster behavior in this game is that there's a very small monster behavior deck. So when it is attacking or when you're attacking it, you're flipping over uh, one card from this deck. And so each monster has three things it'll do based on what card you draw and that you know how many of each type type of attack card is in the deck. So you can kind of guess based on what cards have been drawn, you can guess what it might do. And so you can sort of plan for yeah. that. I guess a really tiny question uh, as well. Can you spawn someone in the middle of a larger whatever campaign, I guess, or without it feeling too bad, or is there a lot of leveling up mechanics? No, actually, it, it resets every campaign, so your character oh, cool. your character does not carry through from one okay. campaign to the next. And that is actually really, really good cool. because there's like 15 hunters you can play, and yeah, so yeah. you really wouldn't want to do that. You really, to experience the game in different um, gameplay styles, you, you kind of want to play a campaign as one hunter and then try a different one for, minute, for another campaign. That sounds really cool, actually. I'm not a huge fan of, I don't know, even the way Gloomhaven does it, even though Gloomhaven is really good, but like getting someone in for one game seems kind of like, uh, yeah, it just feels weird because technically, yeah, you can give them the card they would have and some money or whatever, but it doesn't feel the same as kind of having been there from the beginning, but it's good yeah. to enable people to spawn in the middle. Yeah, this one is, is it lends itself pretty well to... Um, bringing people in and out and you could play um assuming uh, kind of everybody's learned the rules you could play all three chapters in probably three or four hours so if you wanted to just sit down and hammer out a campaign in a night you could probably do it yeah are there a lot of rules actually speaking of which did you get into the arc uh survival evolved game yet with the 30 or 50 60 pages rule book and was that really as bad as it seemed kind of an unrelated question so sorry which arc the what arc survival evolved the one with the huge rule book i don't know if you got into that game and uh, no. <laughs> connected with it does uh Bloodborne have a lot of rules like that, or is it kind of not too not too bad to learn? Oh, my mind went to the video game arc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's made after a video game. That's what. Oh like, right, yeah. But because <laughs> I have you played have the that board and I game. got eaten by a dinosaur promptly. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I saw you were about to play it a couple of weeks ago. I think it's Ark, right? Isn't it Ark? <laughs> Uh, that was, I think you might be thinking of Horizon Zero Dawn. Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Sorry, wrong game. Yep. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, haven't gotten to play that yet, but uh, the my brother who brought it is leaving it at my house because he's extending his storage into my house. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So if uh, we want, we can try it sometime. 
anyway, I was just remembering that game has a huge rule book. So does Bloodborne have a lot of rules to learn, or is it pretty kind of intuitive, so, I guess? So I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the Bloodborne rule book because the rule book is actually not crazy. It's not super long. It doesn't have a ton of rules. <laughs> but it, it probably doesn't explain everything. Yeah, the- <laughs> that's the problem. So that you'll get you'll get through the whole rule book and think you know the game. And then, and then you then, start and immediately yeah, you have questions. You, you yeah. start playing the game and you're like, oh, well, the rule book doesn't tell me what to do in this situation. Yeah, I kind of hate that. Like, <laughs> so, when they don't explain like what happens. Yeah, I've, I've had those experiences before. Not great. Yeah, but luckily there is a pretty decent FAQ on BGG, and if you read that, you'll kind of get it. And, and the game is not complicated to play, so once you kind of have your head wrapped around how it works, it's it's not bad. It's just unfortunate that the rule book is just kind of missing some things. Yeah, yeah. But overall, well, I'm enjoying cool. it so far, and sounds like you might try it with me sometime, and, and uh, we'll see if you agree. Yeah. I actually haven't played the video game, but I really like kind of the theme. Maybe I should try the video game. The only problem is it's only on consoles, and I don't really do consoles. So Fingers crossed that it comes out on PC someday. Yeah, maybe (laughs) someday it will come out on PC, and I'll give it a try then. But other than that, not really. Yeah, it's it's like pretty much my all-time favorite uh, video game. So it's, it's just really fun to have it in board game form now. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's a that's a lot of Bloodborne. <laughs> yep, we talked about Bloodborne for a while, but uh, just wanted to mention we also played Steampunk Rally Fusion for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've played Steampunk Rally before, and I think I've talked about it. I think it's a really cool game. My only input on Fusion was I enjoyed my play of it, but uh, I feel like uh, they've added... Basically, it kind of feels like an expansion to Steampunk Rally, so kind of the same game with more stuff to explain and also uh, maybe even some more take that actually our game wasn't particularly full of take that but they've added cards where you previously you had to pull a special event i think or one of those uh, uh, basically like specific cards now i think it's more common to be able to attack other people uh that are in front of you or even behind you unfortunately our game was kind of uh, maybe friendlier as far as that goes i don't know if it's because people didn't understand that mechanic or <laughs> because they decided <laughs> yeah. not to play that way but I think yeah, it's probably I, the play style of the group <laughs> yeah if i have any comments about it actually is that i feel like if you're actually new to steampunk rally you should probably just play the basic game the base game the old game which if you backed fusion it's most of the a lot of the players have this base game in the box as well uh, because the explanation was kind of ridiculous I, I it doesn't look that bad on paper because I know how to play the game but once I started getting into it there's like a lot of things to explain and I feel like people are asking questions even in the last round of the game when you know hopefully everyone knows everything but people are just like oh can I do that or whatever and it's very unfortunate because you have to know the game to play on your own because no one can check your stuff so hopefully you know we had the situation of basically me hoping that everyone is doing things correctly around the table because you roll dice and you assign them to your machine parts and you just kind of play uh what is the game yeah i've i've played uh, i've like i say I've, I've talked about steampunk rally before but just really quick it's basically wacky races the card game 
you draft some cards which are machine parts and you build a machine which is this weird contraption of uh, generators and wings and balloons and weird wheels and uh, boilers and steam power and whatever just a bunch of stuff that uh, propels you forward to hopefully win the race and it's just a race along a straight line a track i guess but actually the track has some splits where you can um do like a wide junction thing like go left or go right for different uh, effects there but there's a pretty huge damage mechanic which i think is really cool and unique to steampunk rally uh, you can damage uh, your machine and discard parts which sounds really bad because like you're deconstructing your machine but there's a big venting mechanic where your parts fill up with dice and you have to actually spend effort to clear them and actually clearing the part like throwing it away is another way to clear it so i think if you embrace kind of your machine kind of falling apart and circulating as opposed to building a huge machine uh, it works pretty well so that's kind of unique in the game is i think the deconstruction part of it so it's not like most engine building games where you just build a huge engine and then just pump it uh the the, you you get some nice benefits of actually destroying your engine as you go so kind of shifting throughout uh but yeah steampunk rally fusion basically the same game with more stuff to explain very unfortunate i actually liked it quite a bit uh, i hope everyone understood the game <laughs> so <laughs> trevor also played it uh, uh, in the same session yeah what did you yeah. do that? actually that was your first play but the thing is i think you got it because you play more, more of those games uh, in general yeah i um i i don't remember why i got this game but i'm glad i did um because it's, it's just probably my idea because it's uh, <laughs> yeah. actually because it's whatever oh, it's the Roxley. studio Roxley yeah. that's what I yeah, yeah. that's I why we got Roxley. it yeah that's right I got it because it was a Roxley game and it just sounded hilarious um you know you're building a steampunk machine that just falls apart as you use it and if you use it for its better purposes then it actually blows up more so it, it was just a really funny concept and and I thought it would be fun and it actually landed really well with uh, everybody that was playing it. I was kind of nervous because some of the players don't really like, or one of the players we played with doesn't like dice rolling at all because he believes he is cursed and will never roll good dice, which I get because I don't generally like tons of dice rolling anyway. But um, it it's just fun. And and it's, like Christo said, it's it's got a lot of stuff going on, but once you get it, it doesn't, it's not super complicated or hard to grasp. And you can just kind of lean into the silliness of it and have fun. So I, I don't have much to add in terms of what's going on, but I, I think that uh, the um, Fusion version of the game was was i liked it a lot because it feels like I, I haven't played the base the the prior version but it feels like it's a bit more gamey so it's got a little more decision it does add in some more take that i guess um which we didn't really do much but i did use a card to like kind of extort people and make them <laughs> yeah that was probably the most take that moment of the game actually basically get, let me go one space forward or blow up a part of your machine yeah. i think was the decision yeah. there <laughs> and then i did it in the wrong order because i i picked a person who won't be extorted for anything and so <laughs> he picked to blow himself up rather than be extorted so that was kind of unfortunate but no i i think it's a it's a really cool game um and i'm excited to play it more 
Yeah, just uh, I really like Fusion personally, but I feel like if you're new to the game, it might be better to play the base version. I, I don't think it's bad in any way. I think actually everything is an improvement. Not the improvement, just more stuff happening uh, necessarily. Maybe you don't appreciate the chaos or take that or whatever, which I think there's more chaos and take that, but I think it's fine. Uh, there's just a lot of like extra stuff to explain over the base game uh, for a first playthrough of steampunk rally but i thought fusion was awesome i don't regret buying it at all i think it's pretty cool yeah and that's steampunk rally fusion yep good stuff and that's everything i don't know if you have anything else for gameplays games played well that's it uh so we'll move on into our topic for the day what's in a game So just to give some context as to what prompted this topic, we've recently played a game or two that had one or more players questioning whether (laughs) what we played was even a game. (laughs) And so Haristo and I were just kind of talking with each other um, about, and, and some other people we play with about, well, what even is a game and are there quote games out there that don't meet that definition and so i'll I'll give you just a little bit of background on what i've been thinking the past uh i've been soul searching risto the past couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> um so i uh i started by as any good lawyer does i i started by looking at the dictionary um and so a game, at least according to this dictionary I found, uh, is a form of play or sport, especially a competitive one, played according to rules and decided by skill, strength, or luck. And then a board game is any game played on a board, especially one that involves the movement of pieces on the board, such as chess or checkers. Did you say skill something or luck? What was the second word? Uh, in the first definition? Yes, or, just read uh, your yeah. definition. Something rules, skills, yeah, something form of, luck. A form of player sport, especially a competitive one, played according to rules and decided by either skill, strength, or luck. Strength, I see. Strength, Are there any yeah. board games that test your strength? That's well, dexterity is one. a form of strength. <laughs> Actually, guess. flip ships. Flip ships is all your ability <laughs> your to control your power. strength. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, flick them up or something. If you yeah. have a lot of like wrist uh, power, I guess you can just like flick them discs really hard. Yeah. So you know, if if I'm tied to these definitions that the man imposes on us, um, it's pretty generous, right? So basically, anything with rules that is decided by skill, strength, or luck, and is played on a board or cards, even that's a board game. But so I don't know. <laughs> it's so it's like because we've all one of us. I, I th- I'm sure we've all said out of frustration at one point or another, this is not a game, right? Um, so is that? Do you think that's just another way of saying I don't like this game, or do you think objectively we can prove that 
insert title is not a game <laughs> uh, i don't know about proving objectively i think that's a hilarious concept with what we're talking about but uh actually i was thinking about it as well i think the games that i've said this doesn't feel like a game uh are games where to me either there is no goal in competition which is i think necessary if the goal is not to like win against other people maybe it's to win against the game which is co-op games which still works perfectly fine because the game is competing against you i guess so you're like trying to beat the game or whatever or reach some kind of goal um so it's either games where like the goal kind of doesn't feel like it's there it's kind of pointless or this luck is just so much that it really doesn't matter what you do. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting that they have in the definition that games can, uh, whatever the quote was, be decided like you by can, luck. can be decided by luck, uh, maybe even completely. And that maybe is going along with like sorry or backgammon or something is in board game format, uh, which, yeah, that I guess kind of works um, in a weird way. But sometimes for me, the luck is just so much. And maybe it's not even like uh, luck from rolling dice is the thing. It's luck from just abstract, like actually what comes to mind is a lot of those guessing art type games where uh, you're looking at pictures and you're trying to connect pictures to what people are trying to con uh, communicate to you. Uh, actually, Brandon, oh, pictures, picture. Gosh, I was like, what is the name of that game? It's pictures. <laughs> pictures. <laughs> it's literally pictures. Yeah. And uh, games like pictures, games like Dixit. Um, Mysterium. Mysterium. Obscurio. Yeah. I feel like Mysterium is a little bit more structured, but basically pictures and Dixit. Uh, there isn't even like a theme really or anything. You're not like investigators in a mansion or something like that, which kind of brings a little bit more structure to the experience. You're just like, here's a picture connected to what I... Uh, it's a game of mind reading. Yeah, connected to what I think uh, or what I designed here with like stones or something. Or Dixit is like, this is the picture that's completely unrelated. Good luck. Could be <laughs> color, could be face, could be just the way I feel today. And it's just like, well, I guess you can say that's luck is just kind of too much maybe for me to consider it like a legit game so to speak i don't know though uh, very interesting uh, yeah. very interesting question to, to for sure yeah i think you're hitting on something that is pretty important to me in determining uh whether i consider something to be a game and and tag it onto that whether i enjoy playing the game is i really think that every game exists somewhere on the spectrum of luck to strategy or skill, I guess. And to and me, strength, strength, strength is in the middle. From luck to strength to skill, or yes. I guess in board games, like if, if uh, luck or skill doesn't work out, you can always rely on strength. Like after the game, you know, just, yeah. just <laughs> you can, you can rely on your strength to like the game up and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. Or like against your opponents is what yeah. I meant. Yeah, that's <laughs> anyway. true. <laughs> we can always wrestle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that the, at least in my opinion, in my preferences, the closer that a game gets to the extremity on the luck side of the spectrum with less strength and less skill, um, it, it feels like it's not really a game. And 
tried to pick apart why that is. And so I started thinking about, well, what do I, what do I value in a game and what makes a game feel like a game? And the first point that, that I thought I'd bring up was the ability to, um, that they are the existence of interesting and meaningful decisions. So not just the ability to take a turn, right? Because any quote game will, will give you the ability to take a turn or maybe not. <laughs> Some games might just kind of play themselves. Um, <laughs> And and your choices are ultimately um, consequential. Um, and the more luck there is, the less that that aspect is there for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I keep thinking of backgammon because to me that's like an infuriating, ridiculous luck uh, game, which I think someone ran a simulation or something. Uh, basically, if you're really good at backgammon, what influence do you have on the game? And it was something like 1%. So yeah, like the winning... That. Uh, the winning scores were like 49% versus 51% of someone that was like could have changed something, uh, you know, with the dice rolls. But anyway, uh, all that aside, at least it feels like you're making decisions. Uh, maybe there's like a deception there or something. I don't know. It's kind of funny. But uh, even if you're rolling dice, like it feels like you're making decisions. What really feels bad to me is the games where you have where you have a lot of luck and you don't even feel like you're making decisions. It's just like basically just pure like luck i don't know maybe something like war or roll dice against each other those kind of silly games um games yeah and, i don't know uh, it's very very interesting though because there are some games with a ton of luck maybe they're all just pure luck actually llama being one of them or i can think of another one with the flippy uh discs bluffing skull skull that's another game where it's like a ridiculous amount of luck but i feel like the procedure of playing the game and just kind of like maybe even trying to that has a social aspect i guess which maybe is a uh, why it's it's interesting because you want to you think you have control over reading other people's faces or reactions or something which is the entertainment of that game and maybe that's where the control comes from where f you feel like you have some control yeah. over what's come the outcome of the game is yeah and there, you're hitting on something else here as well that is definitely a component of this is that um there's some ratio of time to luck or like gameplay time to luck that makes it feel either like a game or just like an infuriating exercise that's happening to you. And um, Skull hits kind of the sweet spot where it's really short, but, and, and there is, you know, a bit of luck, but you have the control of choosing when you start the bid or if you raise um, or if you just like run yourself into the ground by trying to flip every time. Um, so there is a lot of control in that game, and it is lucky to a pretty good degree, but the game's pretty short. Whereas if you played a game that was two or three hours, um, and you felt the same way as you do in Skull, where you're just kind of shooting in the dark and you know things are just kind of happening to you, um, and you don't have much to go on, then it that, that would feel not like a game to me. Yeah, um, actually, uh, 
I'm trying to furiously look up something that I just thought about because I don't remember what it was. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe it's Icarus, actually. Icarus sounds good. Uh, what I want to talk about is basically RPGs because that's... Uh, uh, yeah, actually, speaking of Reiner Knizia, Iker, uh, I... I think it's Icarus. Is that how you pronounce it? Icarus, in English? Yeah. The guy that flew too close to the sun with these whack, wax wings and stuff. Anyway, yep. uh, that's an RPG by Reiner Knizia, which is really just kind of wild. Um, yeah, I guess they list it as pusher luck, but I, my impression was that it actually had significant RPG elements. Basically, things like just talking about uh, stuff and trying to convince the other players of things or whatever. Or there's a game which I recently, unrelated, I looked up I Dark Overlord, which is another RPG experience where you're trying to convince someone that, like, someone is lying or something in the game, kind of role playing these, like, minions serving a master or something. Uh, so those are kind of, like, really weird experiences as well. But I feel like the social aspect of them makes them work. So they're kind of not very traditional. But I think if you're into that, I think I'm not going to discount them as like not games, but they sometimes to me feel like uh, maybe like not a traditional board game. I don't know if you have any comments on RPGs in particular, because I think some RPGs have a lot of structure like D&D or whatever, where you're moving around the map and whatever, and you have a game master and whatnot. They have rules, they have like dice rolls and stuff or whatever. There are some where the point is just to talk and like create a story or a world together, uh, which is an interesting idea. So I don't know if that's a game to you, Trevor. What did you, what yeah, do you think about that? It, there's kind of three categories, at least in my view, for for RPG style games, and there's the the category you described where you're just kind of talking with each other, and that that to me doesn't sound like a game. That sounds just <laughs> like a social experience. Yes, yeah. Um, which is fine. You know, not everything has to be a game. Then there's the D&D format, which is sort of rules-bound, but kind of free-form. Um, I always had a really weird experience with D&D. Not that I hated it. It's just always weird because like, I can literally tell you anything I'm going to do, and I can do it, right? So I, I just remember one time, just a, a quick anecdote. I was playing D&D with some friends, and they were all going down into this well, exploring something, and I, I totally didn't trust one of the characters because I thought she was a religious zealot. And so I was just like, yeah, screw that. I'm staying at the top of the well, and then they all died in the bottom, and I won. So... <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't know if like that was a game or, I mean, I had a die roll, so that was a mechanic, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. So I, I think that D&D &D and that type of stuff, I think it's it sort of borders that line of social experience and game because it does have mechanics, it does have rules, sort of. Um, but then there's the RPG experience that's built into a system of mechanics of mechanisms um, like Gloomhaven and, and a lot of other dungeon crawls. And, and that's just kind of the game that I cater that I'm more drawn to. I, I like to have basically a puzzle that I need to solve or something that I'm trying to learn or fight against. And, and that needs to be represented by well, a well-designed rule set. Um, so that's actually one of the the 
bullet points I had written down is that something, if it's going to be a game for me, it's got to be a developed and well-designed rule set. Otherwise it just kind of falls apart and becomes a little too free form and, and, and starts to become more of just an experience is kind of my position on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be too complicated, I think, but to your point, I think I, I appreciate structure in board games in general. I think rules are kind of important and I think the rules need to be clear kind of, of what you're kind of doing. I don't know. Very, very interesting uh, though, because I think there, I can think of kind of exceptions to, to most of it, but for most traditional games, unless there's some weird outlier that I like the theme a lot or something, or I think the idea is fascinating i like to your point well-defined rules i think that's kind of necessary yeah maybe if they make a bloodborne rpg D &D (laughs) set i'll go play it (laughs) yeah i guess actually what i'm thinking about is uh this thing called inhuman conditions which actually was published last year uh it's a two-player interviewing game and you're just supposed to just play a game which is an interview which goes exactly five minutes i think uh, so the full game's 10 minutes and it is a very rpg type experience it basically simulates the test that you give to uh androids or whatever in blade runner the void camp test or whatever if there's people that are into it uh, so anyway you one person may or may not be an android and as an investigator you're trying to well one person role plays the maybe android uh and then one person role plays an investigator and you're just through asking them questions about just kind of life how they feel and it's a little bit guided though so i think that was to your point i, I appreciate that there are prompt cards which kind of uh you can really ask them any questions and they have a weird script where they have to like act a certain way, which is kind of weird, which is supposed to tip you off that they're an Android and you have to kind of watch out for that. So I think even though it's very freeform and ridiculous and like, is this even a game or is this like an improv exercise? Um, there are some rules and structure to the experience, which to your point, I think is really important that it kind of exists um, and it's defined in some ways. It doesn't like go on forever and like, oh, anyone wins. It's like you win if you discover the Android or something, you know, even if it's simple, I think it's important to have some structure. So yeah, it, uh, I guess I agree to your point that it, uh, whatever you're doing kind of has to have structure and clear, yeah. clear win conditions or something or clear, yeah, just clear structure of what you're about to do. Yeah, and I think it, that is sort of the precursor to your original point, um, which is that you feel like you need to be playing towards something, you know, whether it's you're trying to get the most points or collect the most doohickeys or whatever, um, pl- beat the game at its own system. It, it, if you don't have a set of rules that kind of guide you through the experience, it's really hard to feel like you're playing towards something. Which is sort of the issue I had when I was playing D and D, was that I just I didn't know if what we were doing. I didn't know what the <laughs> point of playing was, right? And that's not to say you know I have a I had a really good friend Bad that game had, master. Just kidding. Well, kind of. well, no. So my my a good friend of mine actually created the scenario and was just had great writing. He had some really neat things 
uh, filled in and he, he gave himself nightmares writing it. So like, it was not that it was a bad experience. It just didn't scratch the itch of I'm playing a game right now. It was more just kind of, I don't know. It, it was more of just kind of getting together and talking, just having a good time with your friends and not necessarily playing a game. So yeah. I, just to clarify, when I say that it, something is not a game, I don't mean that it's a waste of life to, to do whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I just, I tend to prefer as we've been talking about games and, and for me that needs direction and, and rule set so that you can actually understand the system uh, within which you're playing. I don't know. That's weird. My impressions from D and D is that you can definitely kind of stick to the rules, and that maybe a, he needed like an intro to his story or whatever of like you have arrived in somewhere, and uh, there's been some weird like talk of something happening, and you're supposed to do this and that. So do it. Yeah, I mean there what there is kind of that right where you maybe have a general sense of you're just going off to do something, and it's a little sandboxy, but. Um, what was just always hard for me to sort of come to terms with is that I could literally tell you I'm doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's <laughs> the, that's a weird thing. Like, yeah, I want to like splash water on my face. What happens? Yeah, and it, it always <laughs> yeah. baffled me. Well, how does the how does the game master know how to respond to this? <laughs> like, uh, hey, I'm gonna reach into my jacket and pull out a rotten fish. Okay, do it. Do a skill think, check and see if you successfully do that. I think basically they kind of improvise to fit yeah, the narrative, yeah. I think. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, so one more point that I had written down, um, if something's going to be a game for me, I, I think there needs to be some sense of progression um, that what you did actually took you somewhere in the game. Looking at you, Abomination. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but so it's this is not necessarily campaign or legacy. I don't want to give that impression, but it, it's more the feeling that you've accomplished something during the game. It doesn't have to be huge or or, or you know memorable even. It, just something. Whether you're accumulating points, you've built an engine, uh, you've built your board out, controlled an area. Uh, it. it, it I think a game needs to feel that you've actually done something. Yeah, along with that, the more social games like Skull, you might think it's really dumb, and yeah, it is, but I think actually maybe what you've accomplished there is some kind of a social thing where someone was trying to like reveal seven skulls and they failed on the seventh one or something, so those kind of hilarious moments is, I think, what makes those, those experiences worthwhile for me to some extent. But yeah, yeah, I agree, yep. So maybe we can do a case study right now. Let's put a game in the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> that recently received this treatment from us. Uh, you know, maybe it was, maybe I was the most vocal one. Uh, but we recently played a game. We actually talked about our games played and had actually sort of positive first impressions to the game. Um, but then the group we were playing it with has pretty much soured on the game. Maybe not all of us to the same degree, but uh, some of us are kind of convinced that either it's a bad game or it's not a game in our opinions but there are a lot of people out there that enjoy this game and i'm talking about a recent game from awaken realms called ether fields 
Yeah. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> what do I think? Um, actually, I'm of the opinion that I don't think it's a complete disaster. Um, it kind of is a disaster, though, and I can totally see where everyone else is coming from because I'm not sure if they, like... I don't know. Uh, it's a very kind of uh, conflicting game for me because I'm not sure if they intended it to be this way from the beginning or I don't know if it's just like a uh, they wanted to make a game but it didn't work out and they labeled this, this weirdness and they ran out of time or something. I don't know. It's very weird, but there are some really weird decisions of how the game was made to begin with uh, in the game, which... Uh, basically what it is, it's supposed to be like a game where you're in a dream world and everything's a dream. So the rule book is written in some kind of way where it explains a bunch of things, but it's full of basically problems of like, um, I don't know, kind of hard to pinpoint uh, specific things, but even things with like the turn order, like, oh, we encourage the turn order to be like this, like start with someone and then rotate clockwise and then rotate the first player. Uh, but really, it, you can just do it however you feel like because you're in the dream world and it's all fine and just kind of experiment and do whatever you want. And that's, I feel like, was kind of a red flag uh, because of the aforementioned things with like specific rules because like, if you can do well whatever you want in the game where it just feels like things are not as specific as they should be then it's kind of weird just kind of a weird experience i actually feel like uh what they're going for is some kind of a modern art type experience where you're playing a board game but also there's a lot of like artistic freedoms taken with it of unconventional things and you're supposed to appreciate how unconventional they are but i don't know if a lot of people appreciate how unconventional they are because a lot of things go against kind of like good game, <laughs> yeah. game design to begin with um so the specific thing that i think everyone was kind of like what the heck is there's a scenario where you set it up and you can completely lock yourself out and you're supposed to just kind of not do that. Nothing in the rules prevents you to prevents you from doing that. And I think it's just kind of like <laughs> no. either just like some kind of a joke or just like uh, I can't believe that they hadn't or like maybe they just completely didn't play test this this, which is crazy to me because they should in a game of uh, this scale. But basically, someone teleported themselves in the room, and the way the scenario was is you couldn't rearrange the scenario. It's like a maze-type scenario, and you are supposed to move tiles. But because he couldn't get out of the room, uh, basically, you just like, have nothing to do but move around and die and then restart. That's actually what they uh, expect you to do, which is kind of insane. Like... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's funny that, like, in a dream, you got lost in some staircase and you teleported in this room that you died in because you couldn't find a way out. But in a game sense, like, just punishing you for some decision that you made that the game clearly doesn't give you information or protect you from is just really bad. So, I don't know. And the game is unfortunately just full of these. Um, it also has a lot of luck uh, in some weird places. Like, basically, 
anything you're doing in the game, you have no idea what it's going to do because you see it's a dream. So anything can happen in a dream. So you check out some kind of uh, <laughs> uh, railroad yeah. tracks or something, and it actually turns out it gives you the option to hurt yourself or exit the scenario. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i guess thematically Just again stop it's playing. yeah it actually yeah, gives it, you the option of not playing the game <laughs> yeah i guess thematically it's like uh oh the dream got too scary or something and like i quit uh having that dream but in a game sense, that's just like really, again, bad design because you don't want to restart the same thing over and over and get punished randomly for something that you had no idea that it was going to lead to that. So, like I say, a very interesting exercise in like kind of modern art and random outcomes and just kind of like whatever. I feel like actually it's uh, your comparison, you Trevor, you compared it to Betrayal. Uh, betrayal... Gosh, what is the full game name again? Betrayal, betrayal of the House, house on, the of the, on the Hill. And then there's yeah. also Betrayal something else now. There's a bunch of Betrayals, I think. But there used to be only one. It's very relevant, I think, the comparison to that game. Because in Betrayal, uh, the game kind of, I feel like, happens to you. It's an exploration type game. But again, you have no idea what you're doing or what you're going to discover you're just basically randomly flipping rooms and hope that something good happens yeah. to you as opposed and to that you have bad. no idea if it will actually work in the end <laughs> yeah and in the end just something also completely random happens and hopefully with the random room flips you're randomly prepared to handle this randomness that happens at the end so basically what it amounts to is kind of an experience where you're just kind of in it for the experience and i think basically that's a good summary of, of ether fields is like you're kind of in it for the experience and a lot of things just kind of happens to you that's kind of my impression uh anyways i've been going on for a while so i don't know what you have to comment on as yeah, far as uh, ether fields you you hit on oh, a betrayal. lot of <laughs> yeah ether fields is betrayal 2.0 basically <laughs> yeah it, it, it actually very it feels very similar to betrayal in terms of like not necessarily mechanics specifically but just kind of in general the feel of the game yeah and and so putting this game in the context of the discussion we've been having, I think there's a technical argument to be made that it is a game, but is it really? <laughs> uh, my answer to that is, and, and you know, I, I don't want to trash talk anybody who does like this game. If you like it, that's wonderful. And I'm glad there's plenty of people out there to play it. My personal opinion is that this is a narrative social experience and not actually a game because of a lot of the reasons Risto said. I, I just don't think it works. And ultimately, no, it feels like nothing you do really ever matters. And you're always just kind of banging your face against the wall. Um, and and so like you bang your face against the wall and there's a little slot and something random pops out uh below below where you've been <laughs> banging your face <laughs> so i mean just to, to to give a few examples of of why i feel like it's not a game is that so the the the, the concept of the game is really actually pretty cool but then you read all the flavor text that's supposed to guide you through the game and none of it makes sense it's poorly written and yeah 
ultimately the, the, inconsequential. I was going to say, uh, yeah, I have a huge complaint with that is I feel like, I think, I don't know, I was hoping it's going to actually get better, but uh, it's so confusing and meandering and just so like kind of bad. I don't know if it's actually a translation from Polish. That's what I was wondering about. It I need to be. look that up. Which if it is a translation, it's really bad because I, it's just it's not pleasant to read or it doesn't make sense and maybe yes again it's dreams so it yeah. doesn't have to make sense <laughs> but like yeah. i don't want to read nonsensical crap which is like seven paragraphs long just because it yeah the 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 theory is there but the practice is it doesn't make for a fun experience to right. read seven nonsensical paragraphs right and and i i don't by the argument that that's how it's supposed to be because there are plenty <laughs> of great books out there that give that write about the same type of world and and you know dream experiences and things like that that are actually good books and if this were a good experience like that it would deliver on that but it doesn't um, so that was the first problem is that it has a really it doesn't keep you involved in the purpose of why you're playing, which kind of defeats why you would ever want to play the game. Um, and then, just like Christo said, a lot of random and a lot of things just feel like they don't matter. So it's it's a deck builder, but and and each character is supposed to have sort of asymmetric abilities, and you're supposed to be able to build out. Um, uh, you know, a character that that is not like the other characters, but you're all pulling from the same deck and uh, the same deck of a market. And there's not even a card market. All you do is you draw three random cards off the top and then decide whether you want to keep any of them. So there's not really any decision there. And then on top of that, all of the cards, at least from what I've seen so far, they have to be pretty generalist uh in terms of design because the scenarios are so wonky and and weird that you can't really pigeonhole yourself and then expect to be able to play the game well um uh, or yeah, i'm see i'm referring to it a game when i'm arguing that it's not a game um and so the, the deck building just feels bad it doesn't feel like you're actually leaning into what the theme is promising Speaking of deck building, uh, there was a reward again from one of these random stories. Uh, I think it, the reward was take the top top three cards of the deck. So that just about explains it as far as yeah. deck building is like if it load doesn't your, even load matter your deck with which trash. <laughs> yeah if it doesn't even matter which cards you're getting then what the heck deck building is it really i mean there's some argument to be said that you can like uh remove those cards after the scenario there's a deck building aspect where you can just keep 20 cards oh, yeah. or something but yeah. uh just i don't know like yeah anyway the deck building aspect of it is uh yeah you get cards once in a while but do they really work there's the situations have to line up so like precisely which never happens for you to actually use your cards meaningfully i think if you have some kind of a combo card that just kind of it seems like never the situation just never comes up uh, yeah. correctly and you know there are uh, you're kind of mentioning this, but there are counterpoints to what we're saying. So somebody I'm sure could could counter and and talk about why they disagree, and that's that's fine. And if they feel that way, that's that's totally totally acceptable. But it just doesn't feel that way to me. And so it, it, another part, just to wrap this up, of why it doesn't feel like a game because I have the same complaint about betrayal is that you know 
the the gameplay is you're just walking around a room interacting with things and that's it um you're supposedly like supposed to be solving a puzzle or a mystery or something but if you play long enough you will solve it (laughs) because there's there's no puzzle there's just have you interacted with everything yet um at least in my experience thus far. And that's exactly what betrayal is. You just kind of walk around, you're having fun with your friends, just kind of like in a semi spooky atmosphere. Uh, you draw an event card that randomly wrecks your face and then, and then the game's over. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I wanted this game to be so cool, but it just didn't deliver on what I feel as a game. And so my, my conclusion as I up front was that I, I think it's, a narrative social experience, which unfortunately does not even deliver a decent narrative. And so it's, it's just kind of a miss for me. Ultimately. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things actually for me was these like, uh, completely nonsensical experiences that you have by just randomly exploring things around the board. Uh, they can be really bad for you and there's nothing to warn you about it. And like, not just like minor inconveniences, which actually I'm not a huge fan of that mechanic to begin with. Uh, I think Gloomhaven had some of those events where like, oh, you see birds and like first time you don't know, but if they're like red, then bad times, you shouldn't yeah. <laughs> uh, attack them. So you, it turns into this memory game of like, oh, which birds were the good ones or whatever. Cause yeah, Gloomhaven wanna... kept it spicy cause they had uh, like similar story cards. And so you had trouble remembering which one was which yeah. and when the color mattered <laughs> but anyway in gloomhaven at least it wasn't super consequential i actually had an, another another example of a game where you don't know what you're getting and it could be bad but i forgot but i'm generally kind of not a huge fan of these mechanics of like explore this and it could be good or it could be actually bad so like you don't know so it's basically just randomness and uh unfortunately etherfields i think has this in spades because it can be really bad for you like basically uh get the these like curses hurt yourself maybe even end the scenario like really really bad things that can happen to you just completely randomly and you have no idea and uh, there's no like visual elements that warns you of it happening potentially is just kind of I feel like exploration should be generally fun, uh, and the exploration in Aetherfields is kind of really dangerous and not fun. And I guess you're supposed to laugh when something bad happens to you, but like if it ends the scenario and you have to redo it, and it has a lot of uh, huge grinding problem, which is kind of beside our discussion of it not being a game or whatever, or it being a game with novel elements. But anyway, that's just like not good. Uh, Random penalties, and then you have to grind again to just for the privilege of playing the exact same thing again, and yeah, memory and play a memory game of oh, I remember this being bad, so I like don't do it. That's just like bad um, the, the design. I feel like uh, exploration should be generally fun, and I don't yeah. know what the better way of doing it, but the way it's done is not not great, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's kind of just a try to to put uh, an an example out there of what we're talking about. Of do we think this is not a game? Which, you know, if you disagree with our our view of it, it might just sound like we're just arguing or presenting all the reasons why we don't like Etherfields, but that it is a game. 
but it just it falls on as we talked about that spectrum before it falls closer to the i don't feel like it is a game end of the spectrum than the other end and and for that yeah. reason we just kind of we had this discussion with the group we're playing with that uh, is this really even a game <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's just well, thought of it sort of prompted this whole discussion yeah it has the structure of a game for sure like that the technicalities of a game but the randomness is so high and the rules sometimes are so unclear and the scenarios just feel such bs that it just i don't know it's almost like um you're kind of in it for the ride to me actually i'm not uh i, I was gonna give it a couple more tries i think it's actually better to play single player or two player maximum because of the downtime so i was gonna just kind of see if i'm just kind of curious where it goes and if it does get more sensical as some people are saying with the story it's kind of morbid curiosity as i was calling it so yeah but generally i will expect not, a report back fan. in a couple of months yep <laughs> I'll be like, oh my gosh, it gets so good later and you guys need to like experience it and stuff. Uh, actually, what amazed me was we played the scenario where you could teleport yourself in a room and die. By the way, I opened the BGG thread about it just to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Uh, that like there's some rule that prevents you from doing this because usually in games like that, like the game is designed in such a way that this cannot possibly happen to you because that's just like basically the game's broken but no apparently it's a feature uh, my thread was called <laughs> my thread was called something like dream i13 uh, anyway you'll see it on bgg i think i posted it in the rules section and basically i posted a picture of what happened and like am i missing anything uh dream i13 one move to break it obviously spoilers and some guys like yes that happened to me i cursed and i tried the dream again uh, second yeah. guy, don't go in a space you can't get out of. Lol, it's like uh, the the funny thing is, it's not just an empty space. There are things to explore in there. Yeah. So in a good game design, you might think that those things actually get you out of the room, but not but so. But they don't. You just <laughs> discover <don't>. some like <laughs> random element of like, oh, seal a card because you looked at the mirror, and then, <laughs> and then you're, you're stuck. <laughs> Yeah. which is just crazy i don't know it's it's oh, just really man. it feels really bad and cheap and whatever uh but anyway where i was where was i going with this yeah uh, oh yeah i looked up uh that dream or whatever scenario uh they have a ranking of all of them by how good they were or bad they were basically like feedback and this one was actually not nearly the worst one the worst one is called something like uh slumber city or something if i remember correctly anyway there's a, a poll of people of what they enjoyed most and least as far as dreams go so again morbid curiosity i'm kind of wondering which is the scenario which is the worst one and like how bad can it be if this one was broken and is supposedly not that bad <laughs> so, <laughs> so i'm about to discover i guess is there any scenario where beating it tells you to play it again <laughs> uh actually i think that's uh that's why that was rated so low as i kind of pre-read some spoilers and i think yeah it like it makes you replay it there's no uh. there's no exit you have to replay it twice i think this built in uh, replaying this is built well, into the scenario sounds miserable so you should just yep. play it solo and record your game <laughs> yep we'll no, see I'm, I'm probably not gonna record actually i don't know it's an interesting idea but i was just gonna suffer privately 
and just kind of go through it. Actually, yeah. that's that's not a bad idea. Maybe I should uh, like stream these things and just post them on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and and I'm kind of looking forward to that one in a morbid way. Yeah, Maybe I'll it. just uh, join as a spectator to give commentary. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of look at me fall on my face and teleport yes. myself randomly in rooms where I can't get out of. Yes. And, like, don't do that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Basically, I'm going to tell you to do everything you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Well, that, uh, I think, puts a wrap on our topic for the day. What's in a game? So let's uh, move on to Games on the Horizon. Uh, Games on the Horizon, for me, the f- uh, just a couple... Uh, one is actually the Kickstarter is over. There's a late pledge up, and it's a game I really enjoy. It's called Caper Europe. Uh, Caper is a game that I've had for a while. It came out a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple. It's been a while, actually, 2018, three years ago. It's a game where it's a two-player game, really. There's a variant uh, to play with three or four and I think they're actually fascinating but I think the game it's, is probably best at two which is actually what BGG is saying. I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, they say three is like not recommended and four is not recommended. I think it's just weird uh, three player game basically it's the same as a this is a two player game. Two people just play a two player game and the third person like gives them cards basically to try to balance the game because they get the lower score plus a sixth of the highest score. So the way to win is to have the game as balanced as possible for the third player, which I think actually is a really cool idea, a really cool concept. The four player game is even weirder. Like there's two people drafting for two other people. Uh, but what the game is, it's uh, very straightforward. Kind of there's a bunch of games that are like this. It's fighting for three spaces in the middle of the table which are cities you're uh playing these uh uh thieves that are trying to steal different things like art and valuables and whatever and you're giving them equipment so based on some kind of combos and interactions between equipment and thieves cool things happen and someone wins the cities and the game eventually uh but the game is a lot of drafting and playing cards to one of the three locations in the middle i think it's really cool uh the designer actually is the it's the third game of that iteration which is a little bit ridiculous because the first game uh was called it's mine and it was basically identical to caper other than the art from what i understand they actually removed the city so now in caper europe it's kind of basically identical to caper except they added the city and they rebalanced some cards so it's kind of like basically i'm gonna be buying a third edition of the game uh pretty much in the space of what is it six years uh so we were joking that uh, this designer can just keep publishing the game same game over and over every couple of years for the rest of his life and maybe we'll be up to like the sixth edition in in a few years but i <laughs> think it's a cool one game. city every time <laughs> yeah just add one city or something or like all oh, right redesigned the game again oh yeah i have a new artist <laughs> so anyway yeah but i guess no, i agree whatever. caper's a cool game yeah, 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 we played it with Trevor. Uh, actually, it's on tabletop, so maybe we'll pl- play Caper Europe because I think we both know the rules. Just kind of check it out, even though I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get it. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good game. I don't have anything to add on to 
onto that except that you should buy it. Yeah. The other game that I'm actually <laughs> kind of interested in, uh, which I've looked at for a while, this was only published in Europe, and I'm kind of curious to see if I'm going to like it. It's called V Commandos. Uh, I think from what I can see, it's a remake in a board game format of a game called Commandos, which is a really old 90s game. It had really cool graphics actually for the time. And it's a hidden, uh, not movement necessarily. I guess it's like a, a game with a lot of cover mechanics is how I would describe it. Uh, because you are kind of moving and hiding from guards, which are, which are set on these patrol routes. At least that's what the video game was, which I think the board game kind of emulates. And you're trying to not raise the alarm because when it you know, when you raise the alarm, it used to be just like really bad. You kind of get overwhelmed with firepower and just kind of destroyed. So you're trying to kind of sneak and complete objectives around some kind of World War II or I don't know whatever the theme is maps. Uh, really cool concept i'm really looking forward to kind of the board game implementation of it it's been out for actually five years i never looked at it because it wasn't published in the u.s and i wasn't super interested in importing it from europe with for ridiculous prices but i actually saw there's a kickstarter for it running so it might be worth checking out if you if you find the idea of kind of a lot of cover mechanics and not so fighting as as like sneaking around uh, interesting. Um, I think it could be cool. Actually, I'm looking at it as well, and it looks like there's an Assassin's Creed uh, re-implementation coming, which could be cool as well. Similar uh, concept, I guess, probably a lot of kind of not really a brawling type of game rather than just like sneaking around kind of a game. So pretty cool. I'm uh, going to check it out. So V Commandos, maybe Assassin's Creed is coming and maybe I'll decide on that one instead. I don't know. I'll have to see because I don't think Assassin's Creed is on Kickstarter yet. I think it's just kind of announced. Is it a uh, licensed game? Yeah, it says Assassin's Creed. It has a logo and everything. Uh, actually, that's funny. The Kickstarter will go live on 2018. So, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> so don't I know what's happening with this Assassin's Creed game. I don't think this was ever published. It says 2021, so maybe they decided to delay it for some reason. Could I be. definitely wouldn't have missed it, so I think it was delayed a bunch of times. Kickstarter reopening. Oh, okay. It looks like pre-orders will open in a few weeks. There was a Kickstarter. I just missed it somewhere. That's crazy. Uh, so people are saying, yeah, there's also V Commandos Deluxe, com Deluxe coming out. So very weird coincidence that two games of the same implementation are coming out at the same time. But I'll see which one I like better and maybe I'll get one of them. Anyway, that's V Commandos and the whole yeah. hidden, hidden sneaking theme. Oh, I think it's also cool that it's yeah, co-op, so it's not Creed. like a, it's not a confrontational. I think it's uh, you hiding against pre predetermined routes of guards in the game or whatever the mechanics are. Uh, which um, Assassin's Creed world is it in, though? Is it like the old Middle Bro East? Or? Brotherhood of Venice is what they say. Oh, so it's like the it's yeah, okay, it's the Italian the Renaissance Venice. Gotcha. So it might be kind of like the Ezio trilogy. Yeah. 
Assassin's Creed. Cool. There's a ton of miniatures, so I don't know. Maybe the <laughs> Assassin's Creed is the miniatures way and V Commandos is the tokens way to go. So I'll decide, I guess. Well, I like the theme of Assassin's Creed, so you should buy it so I can play it. <laughs> <laughs> you recommend Assassin's Creed? <laughs> I recommend it. I recommend it. It's going to be the better one. <laughs> Sure. All right. Okay. Uh, so the first game that's on my horizon, just uh, talk about it really quickly. It's called Hippocrates, or if you're friends with Bill and Ted, it's called Hippocrates. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is an upcoming Kickstarter that hasn't launched yet from Game Brewer. This is designed from um, Elaine or Alan Orban, with uh, designer one of the it's designers. Alain Orban, uh, actually. Alain Alain Orban. Alain Alain Urban. Urban. Okay, uh, French guy uh, who designed uh, Trois, Black Angel, Tournay, uh, Trois Dice. So games that I like or am looking forward to playing. Uh, in the case of Black Angel, maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> um, but uh, so this is an interesting game. Um, I've only been able to read the description and, and see a couple of pictures, obviously, because there's not too much information out there yet. But basically, the, the idea is that Hippocrates or Hippocrates has just passed away, and you're playing as sort of one of his successors to kind of become the uh, greatest team of doctors and, and uh, you know, build the first hospital in, in Greece following uh hippocrates death so uh the game is played over four rounds and in each it's divided each round is divided into five phases where in the first phase you're going to be welcoming patients into your hospital and you need to select them carefully because um uh, all patients need urgent help but some may be easier to treat than others uh, but you have to make sure that you help those in need or you're going to lose notoriety i thought there was some kind of funny room there for capitalism to rear its head and say ah get the sickest people with the best insurance uh <laughs> and then pleromy is the second phase so they they each have like greek names uh where you have to then pay your doctors or risk them leaving you um, and then the third straight stage, you're going to try to hire new doctors and like buy medical supplies. Um, and if you're able to get both of those, you get a bonus. Um, then you go into the fourth phase, which is uh, when you're treating the patients. And so you have to carefully, I think this is going to be sort of a spatial puzzle in front of you. You're going to be putting um, tokens down uh, uh, to uh, link the patients looks, to the right doctors. Looks recipe fulfillment-y to me. Yes. There's a bunch of pa patients that need specific potions and you put yep. them on them and they get healed slowly. Yep, and then uh, at in the fifth stage, you just count your victory and notoriety points and then get ready for the next round. So uh, the BGG website says this is a combination of auction building, tile placement, resource management. Um, all sounds really cool to me, so I'm, I'm really excited to try this. I think there will be either a tabletop simulator or a tabletopia implementation so i think this is probably a good candidate for us to do one of our live streams uh that's hippocrates from game brewer yep i actually think this looks really cool this is kind of a my type of game looks like a kind of a mid mid Europe mid uh weight euro not too complicated but just enough to make the game kind of interesting 
Yeah, and it's a cool theme. I, I don't know that there are many games out there where you're basically running a hospital. There are a couple, yeah. but this this is maybe the first one I've seen where you're doing it in you know this time period. So I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. I think it's interesting. The, I was going to say the theme and time period chosen. There's a funny thing in the middle where they're performing an operation and it's like ancient Greece themed. Anyway, yeah. kind of funny. Yep, so that's Hippocrates. Um, I was actually looking at, I think it's Alain Orban. Yes, the ends don't, they're silent. There's a legendary uh, Formula One driver, Alain, uh, we call it, we used to call it Alain in, in Bulgarian, but I guess it's Alain, Alain Prost. Uh, anyway, same name. I was just curious, but yeah, it's Alain Orban. Cool. I'll rely on you for all French French pronunciations. Going sure. No, yeah. Apparently, according to Google, at least, which actually is pretty trustworthy, I think, for French. Yeah. Anyway, is that it? So the next game I wanted to talk about really quickly is um, John Company. Uh, this is the no. next game from Whirly Gig Games and Cole Whirly, no. and I'm. So this is on my horizon, but I'm like nervous that it's on my horizon <laughs> <laughs> is it really on your horizon you're actually thinking about buying it yeah because well okay let me let me explain myself here um i like cole Worley a lot as a designer not necessarily because every game he designs is like the most fun game in the world to play and everybody loves them but that seems to be kind of becoming the case a lot of people are backing just because it's cole Worley. Um, I think that his historical games are compelling and just interesting um, and actually have an like sort of an academic commentary on history. And that, that to me is a compelling uh, thing in games because it's just not something you see all the time. And Cole Worley as a designer has a, he has a, just a, a uncommon ability to design unique systems that don't feel like anything else so for for those reasons i'm just kind of always interested in a cole worley design yeah john company for just really quickly for anybody who hasn't heard of it it's on kickstarter right now as of january 4 or not january <laughs> march 4th uh it's got 15 days left. It's already actually raised half a million dollars. So that's, uh, should speak to its popularity, but this is a second edition of a game that Cole Worley had designed before. And it, the, the premise is just really interesting. I think it's, it's all about, um, the formation and rise of the East India trading company and the political struggles of the families that were involved in that enterprise. So it's an economic game, where you're all kind of building the same company, but it's not cooperative, it's competitive. So the premise of the game just sounds super interesting to me. The reason I'm nervous is that it's a negotiation game. And- <laughs> I didn't even know that actually. Because I think basically every, there's actually, so I, I haven't read the rules or anything, but I watched a brief overview video that's on the Kickstarter page from Cole Worley, just kind of des describing the, basically 12 phases of each round that it goes through and i didn't 
maybe I missed something, but I didn't notice a phase. There's no like negotiating phase. It's just the game is open negotiation all the time. Um, but somehow it's not adding to play time. Um, so, and, and the reason just for the listener's benefit, um, I am pretty hesitant when it comes to negotiation style games because I've, I guess I've just, my experience with negotiation games has not been ideal where it just kind of, if you think of your typical um, uh, Settlers of Catan experience where it all just devolves into nobody's trading with anybody anymore because everybody hates each other and doesn't want anything to happen. It all just devolves oh. and, and kind of like stops and, you know, granted, that's not how negotiation games are supposed to be played. Um, but I, I kind of have become apprehensive of those style of the games for that reason, is that I, I, I fear negotiation games and I'm hesitant to play them because I just don't feel that they'll be played correctly. Um, and maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> but uh, No, maybe you don't prefer those style of games, but I was going to say Catan is actually maybe a really bad game uh, as far as yes. that example yes. goes. Because I think in Catan, I think, well, in general, people start producing either too much and it doesn't matter because they can trade with the game, which actually happens all the time later, or uh, they diversify automatically. I think the better negotiation type games are games where you produce something unique or you're just better at it like kind of uh, in a built-in way uh sidereal conflict comes to mind but anyway uh just in general games where like um there's no kind of way around it and you can do all you can only do better by negotiating the problem is in Catan. i think eventually it starts to being where you can be self-sufficient and you don't have to uh work with anyone else yeah uh, not that they want to anyway if you're leading but uh, that's another problem the biggest problem is like that um you can kind of start producing either too much or whatever you need to but anyway yeah. yeah i'm kind of amazed that you actually are interested in this game because uh yeah the theme might sound interesting but the board looks boring af to me at least because um i don't know I, it looks like a really complicated game and maybe it's not i hope it's not actually because i not looking forward to learning insane amounts of rules uh what i heard unfortunately also is uh some randomness there's a die roll or something which maybe if it's a negotiation game doesn't it doesn't matter because if it favors someone then you just like uh try to ally against them in some way maybe that's not a big deal but yeah it just looks like um more focused on the political side of things like um if I'm running the East India Company, I kind of would enjoy, you know, like running ships back and forth along a map or something, you know, the fun stuff of running the East India Company, not uh, yeah. electing a chairman. There, no, I'm there just is, kidding. There is part, <laughs> actually, so that, all of that is actually in the game. So there are, so yeah, like yeah. The, in an abstract way, I can see yeah. three ships coming in at the top. Yeah, so there's, there are, there's a half of the board that's, you know, tied to, uh, running the company and having the court of directors and all that, and then there's actually the de the deliveries and and all of that on the map, and the gameplay actually seems pretty compelling from the video I watched. But again, I I I need to learn more about this game um, because I'm intrigued enough to want to 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 want to look into it, 
I'm just a little nervous about it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I do actually want to play it. And, you know, the the unfortunate thing about Whirligig games is that they never go to retail, basically. So unless a local store of yours um, happens to jump on the Kickstarter and you're okay with paying MSRP plus at retail, you're basically not going to get this game. It's because Whirligig is basically just Cole Whirly and his brother. And so if you want the game, you kind of back it on Kickstarter. Um, yeah. I was going to say it previously was published by Sierra Madre and uh, maybe he wants to actually just change the publisher and take away uh, the license or whatever from them. Just kidding. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But, uh, He's actually putting all of his historical games under Whirligig. That's, that's kind of what his plan is. Yeah. No, but I was going to say it fit really well with Sierra Madre, I think, because from what I've heard, it's kind of a simulation where... Uh, they have a line of those games of like BIOS Genesis and all those games. And like, there was a prehistory one with uh, Neanderthal actually, I think is what it's called where they're kind of a simulation. And yeah, the luck is definitely not a problem because I think first of all, a lot of them are like solo. This one isn't, but uh, they're more of like kind of interested in uh, simulating what could have happened as opposed to kind of like balancing or whatever worrying about like oh is there going to be a runaway leader you know like those like kind yeah, of things yeah. they do try to make them uh, legit board games but like i think it belonged very well with the sierra madre line of games from that respect and i think yeah. it's going to be probably a fascinating like simulation of what uh could have been the foundation of the John, uh, the John, the East Indian Company or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I never really personally had an interest, but if you get it and you want to play it, yeah, sure. I guess I'll have to get into it. <laughs> I will force you to play. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I think I, um, maybe I'm sort of atypical this way, but I, I think that a game like this that's really seems a lot about making a statement um, or creating, like you said, a simulation that is a commentary on, on history. I see that I see these games as a way of, of Cole, like Cole Worley communicating his, um, his thoughts on history through a game. And that's just a fascinating concept to me. I know not everybody's yeah, yeah. into that, but for me, this game isn't necessarily all about the am I have having fun playing a game experience, and it's also about well, what am I learning about uh, the the subject matter of the game? Yeah, yeah, I like the historical ties in general in games, and the these types of games definitely have that tied in. Actually, uh, speaking of Sierra Madre, a lot of them got into hot water with like some controversial essays, I guess I should say, about commentary on just kind of events or history or whatever, or uh, just kind of going on tangents in the rule books with historical context. Uh, so it's not, they're definitely focused on way more than the game itself. They're super tied into history and just kind of immersing you in the theme and particulars of what, it, what you're doing. Yeah, well, actually, what you just said reminded me of a paragraph that's on the Kickstarter page that it says that John Company 
company is an uncompromising portrait of the people who made the company and the British Empire what it was. It is as frank as it is cutting in its satire. Accordingly, the game wrestles with many of the key themes of imperialism <laughs> and globalization yeah. in the 18th and 19th centuries and how these developments were felt domestically. As such, this game might not be suitable for all players. <laughs> Please make sure everyone in your group consents to this exploration before playing. <laughs> uh, from what I can see on the board, the only thing is opium that I can see, and it uh, makes the most money, apparently. So, yep, GG. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I'm, opium, I'm looking mean. forward to it. I, I will probably back it. I don't know if it's going to be a game that I love, but it's going to be a game that I will probably enjoy experiencing and learning about. So, uh, we'll see. Yep, very interesting. Uh, just one last mention before we wrap up. Uh, another game I'm looking forward to playing is Ginkopolis, a game by Javier Georges. Jorge, uh, same designer as uh, as Carnegie, which we recently covered. Uh, but this is an earlier game that has been reprinted um, by Pearl Games. And it's basically... Uh, I mean, the theme might not really matter that much, but it's kind of tile laying in a building a futuristic type city with tiles, and it's kind of a card drafting game and really uh, potentially explosive tableau engine building um, because every card you play in front of yourself just has a benefit that boosts another type of action and you're laying tiles. Uh, the game kind of incentivizes you to build tiles vertically because I guess this is like post-apocalypse rejuvenating the earth and building up is better than sprawl, but you can also sprawl and it just has some interesting mechanics that I'm looking forward to experiencing. It looks like a, looks like a decent game. I don't know if you've I, played some before. I actually don't know much about it. All I know is it was out of print and very desirable for a while. I think it's probably, hopefully, because it's a good game. And recently it came in print, and I was instantly kind of interested in it. Um, I'm kind of in a holding pattern of like, Ooh, who's going to buy it? Is it going to be me, Trevor, or Brandon? And we'll see. <laughs> but it's I'm me. hoping to, I'm <laughs> hoping to uh, play it because I think that I'm going to like this one again, kind of a mid-euro. It looks like 45 minutes, which is crazy. I thought it was going to be a longer game. It seems like a pretty quick, uh, quick Yeah, I game. think it's basically all the reviews I watched of it say it's kind of our tops. Yeah, just a um, very quick kind of build up and done kind of game. With spoilers, I already have it, so we're gonna play it. We're gonna play it. <laughs> well, good, good. So I don't have to actually get it. Awesome. Yeah, actually, I'm, can, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Yeah, you can you can save your money and buy uh, Assassin's Creed. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yep. Cool. Nice. Nice. I'm looking forward to Ginkopolis. Actually, it should be cool. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that's it for games on my horizon. Yep, I think that's it. So, thanks for tuning in, and I will see you in a couple of weeks, or actually a week. And, we're, and we're a little bit late recording this time, uh, but that's fine. Yeah. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. 
We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.